0: Welcome to what is episode 9 of Sparks of Madness, uh, my little podcast about uh, comedians and their mental health. I'm Graeme Rader, the host, and this week I'm talking to Alex Stringer. Um, Alex is uh, a comic from uh, the Liverpool area. And she and I have gigged together a few times, and um, she's hilarious. Uh, she's someone I find really, really funny. Um, but in this podcast, we do talk about some some serious issues. We talk about um, you know in, feeling suicidal at a very young age um, and um, dealing with that. We talk about alcoholism at a relatively young age, middle um, late teens into early twenties, um, and. Feeling suicidal while being addicted to alcohol um, and how that can, can, those two things can be. Um, difficult to untangle um, you know which which do you treat first how can you treat one without treating the other well you, medically you kind of have to, um, so we talk about those issues um, we, on our lighter side we talk about um, her recent successes even in lockdown um, Alex was the runner up in the West Didsbury uh, Festival New Act of the Year competition this year which actually took place Uh, like the football behind closed doors um so it was an online gig um and interestingly for me um, and positively um the first three the top three acts were all female comedians which is really good um generally because i think that in the current climate it shows that that quality comes through regardless of gender despite the recent conversations around me too and and things like that in the comedy industry um but, um, we also talk about uh, very briefly about Dave Borden um, just uh, want to give him a mention I'm sorry in this uh, podcast that I call you a prick I love you like a brother I was just merely jesting um, but yeah it's quite a serious podcast as I said trigger warnings I suppose are yeah, discussions in some detail of suicidal thoughts and addiction uh, we also talk about dealing with life in recovery while uh, being a a gigging comic and also um, talking about those issues on stage as part of your act and how uh, getting the balance right for the audience can be tricky uh, but how it can be um, a positive experience as well so I hope you enjoy this um, episode 9 of Sparks of Madness the fantastic Alex Stringer thank you Okay, so uh, welcome to episode nine of Sparks of Madness. Um, Alex Stringer, how are you doing, Alex?
1: Hello, I'm well, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Um, and I'm quite excited to talk to you because um, we're just coming off the back of uh, a bit of a success for you at the weekend. You uh, finished second in the the is it the West Didbury Festival New Act of the Year? Yeah,
1: right? yeah, it's so exciting. Um, and that
0: was all done online, is that right?
1: yeah all online um the winner Anna Thomas hair heat was live but um yeah it was supposed to be uh literally like the week lockdown happened and um yeah they uh Kev was like oh yeah we're gonna have to cancel for the foreseeable and then he got in contact and just said you know is anyone keen to do it um and I was a bit like, oh I dunno, like, you know, I took part in your uh, lockdown thing, but that was all pre-recorded and I was like, oh, I don't know. Um and then I um I said to him, can we do the tech? And then if it doesn't really um, you know, if it doesn't really come across okay, then I can pull. And he was like, Yeah, that's absolutely fine. And the tech went really well. Um and the platform he was using was pretty good. So yeah, I kind of uh, put faith into it and was just like, okay, let's let's have fun. Um, yeah, so it, it was a bit, it was a bit nuts, but it was. Um, I really enjoyed like taking part in it because um, I really have missed comedy as well in lockdown. Yeah. Like yourself, I imagine. Yeah, yeah um,
0: definitely. Yeah, and yeah. you finished second, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, so, and it was, very surprising. And
0: What was nice was it was an all female top three as well. The the gold, silver, and bronze was all female, which is good.
1: Yeah, that was, um, I love that because um, also, as well, like, I don't know, I I, I kind of have um, mini blackouts to be fair when I perform, so I can't really remember how I did, but otherwise, I. I I don't know I think I think Anna was the best of the night and 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 that was equally like amazing um and so it it was that thing of like no one's well I like I obviously like you know that I'm a big fan of you because you're you're a like you're an ally to female comics and you see it as like you 're not wedging us in as like a vagina break, like you see that you want your audience uh, your performance to reflect the audience that you get and so
0: mm. um
1: yeah, to see that come through and it and it not be like a a a tick box exercise or whatever was really really lovely um mm. yeah, it was buzzing it was good
0: no it was really good i, I, I was so it's one of those where um uh, Johnny Brook, who was on our last episode, messaged me and said, Have you seen the lineup for the final? You know Johnny, I think. Mm. Um and uh and I sort of looked at it and and Dave Borden was on there and he won everything last year of, yeah. the sort of northern competitions because he's a prick. Um, <laughs> and uh, hi Dave if you left me. Um and uh and I thought well, surely he can't win another one. But it it was one of those lineups where it was actually it looked hard to pick mm. someone who was gonna be maybe Absolutely, head and shoulders above. There are a few stronger ones, I thought, but it was nice to see that lineup like that. And then it was just nice to see people that I kind of like doing well on that on that list. So, well done. Really pleased for you. Oh, um, anyway, you. that's the arse kissing out of the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I was made um, up
1: when Dave when Dave was like, "Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not doing the final anymore." I was like, "Thank for Christ!" Like, you know, yeah. you just like thank God, like we actually have a chance because yeah, similarly, I was like, "Oh mate, can you not just like." Just give us one. Just give us one. Um, so when he was like, oh, he's not doing it. Yeah, I was like, oh, buzzing. Amazing. We've got one person out the way. So, yeah, it was good. Good.
0: <laughs> he's not that good anyway. He's all right. He's mediocre. <laughs>
1: um, yeah.
0: um, so kind of sound like alright, prick now. I actually really love Dave Bond, But anyway. Um, Same. Yeah. It's, that's what's so annoying about him. Um,
1: oh, but- honestly, the loveliest person. So many people have said that to me. And I'm like, oh, it'd be yeah. so great if he was... Um, can I swear on this by the way?
0: Yeah, of course, you can. I've already so
1: sweared so. quite a bit, but um, yeah, it'd be so much easier if he was a cunt, but he's really not. Like, honestly, yeah. he's such a fucking lovely fat per- yeah, uh, fella yeah. person, so um, yeah, annoying. But Dave Borden he's, fan club here
0: without going off on too much of a tangent. Um, he gigged for me at the little gig I running in Batley, um, and he. He actually ended up talking about it on another podcast, the Giggle Gang podcast with Matty Shaw, because he locked his he got his car locked in a local car park overnight. <gasps> um, because he didn't park where I told him. Because I'm quite a good booker. I'll let people know where there's a car park if they need one. Um, yeah. And he parked somewhere else and went off to get a, some tea because he got there early and came back in his car, was locked up overnight. And uh, and what he didn't tell me on the night was he'd actually tried to get it out because there was a really small gap in the barrier. And he'd uh, basically scratched all of his cars. <gasps> no! So, um, that's, uh, that's nothing <laughs> more than he deserves, he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> but uh, he still uh, came and smashed the gig, so, you know, good stuff. Anyway, that's a massive tangent. Um. So, how long have you been going in comedy then? It's because obviously it's a newcomer award. But for those who are listening who maybe don't don't know the comedy industry from our side, there's no sort of hard and fast rule. What a new a new act competition? How long you should have been going? So it can be five minutes, and sometimes it can be five years. So how long have you been performing?
1: Um. So my first gig was the twenty fourth of Feb, twenty uh, nine. 29- Teen. yeah that's right okay. um just over year. Yeah. yeah just over year so it was like yeah like 13 months when lockdown happened so I was like okay cool I'm just gonna hit pause on this uh time juncture thing mm. um but yeah so not very long at all like literally a fetus well no just kind of come through but um yeah yeah not
0: long, yeah, and and I mean, if no one for people who haven't seen your stuff, what we possibly do is put a, a clip of your material on at the end if that's all right with you. But yeah, um, I think to people who've seen you, and I think I saw you relatively early on, I probably saw you sort of summertime last year. You, you're kind of one of those acts who is to, looks almost like you've arrived kind of fully formed in the in your stage presence and your style. You've you've got a very clear kind of confidence on stage and a, quite a, a, a specific style um and it's one that that obviously is serving you well but was that something that just did it come as natural as it looks or did you did you stumble at first or what
1: um no uh I <laughs> I would love to to take credit and be like oh it's something that I honed my craft but I really mm. didn't um I, I I I didn't realize even really until about six months in and people were like you you have a voice and a tone that you go into on stage and I don't mean to but I think it's even probably how I write jokes as well but um yeah kind of leaning into this kind of deadpan sarcastic very um but I don't I, I yeah it, it's literally um I'm allure unto myself on stage because I don't really realize it's gonna happen and then yeah, it just it, it literally happens like that. It was straight off the bat. It was how it was. So I'm really lucky that that happened in that way. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good.
0: Mm. <laughs> um, and then obviously lockdown has hit. So at the time of recording, we're now at the sort of the last week of May um, around the uh, all of the Dominic Cummings stuff in the news. Just to put placeholders, it's probably going to be about a month or so before this gets aired. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you. I so I've been going probably about six months longer than you, maybe less, four or five months longer than you. Mm. Um, and this year felt like, for me, when it got to the start of the year, it was the first year where I thought, right, okay, I've found my feet a bit. Mm. I'm actually going to try and have some goals this year. Because last year, the goal was just to keep gigging. Yeah. This year it was like, I'm going to set out some goals. I actually did something I've never done with my work, normal work in life and actually planned ahead and <laughs> wrote down some targets and some goals. And basically, all of them are going out the fucking window now. Yeah. Um, and that's just going to be. I'll just do that for next year. D- is that how you felt about it? Is it just like write this year off and and don't let it get to you, or is it hitting you hard or what?
1: Um, yeah, to be honest, because I similarly like, ah, uh, I I had a lovely, I had a lovely April coming up, um, mm. with gigs and like you know four for three four five gigs um each week and really lovely gigs that I was really excited about I was doing Excess Malarkey in Manchester um and yeah I, I, it kind of it fell um beneath me essentially the same as everyone else really but also as well like I similarly to you like just getting into paid work just getting into like um frequent paid work where mm. you know um kind of they're starting to have a bit of faith in you that you'll you know show reliability and also can uh, perform on the night not just literally but um yeah so I was a bit like oh what the fuck But in the same respect I feel like I uh I got a bit of a after Christmas having a bit of time off I felt like I kind of got a bit of uh fire under my ass and I felt like I was like you know cracking on again and stuff and so I I feel like mentally I was almost kind of like oh lovely to have a break in it like I love having a break and a cup of tea and whatever and then as the time's gone on I've just um yeah just tried not to go insane with it um but also i don't know i'm a bit of a psycho in the sense that i'm an eager maniac with terrible self esteem and so um i worry about i always think about and i know you should not do i need to get tattooed on my head that um comparison is the thief of thief of joy i love that saying because it mm-hmm. is so true for me um but almost the thing that settled me is like no fucker else is going anywhere either, Um yeah. I think if it was Al- Alex Stringer has to stay in lockdown alone, um, for how many months I I well I don't know where I'd be at, but I think because everyone else is, I'm just kind of like well, it's just one of those years, do you know what I mean? Like I just feel like I'm just being kind around being productive, and you know some days. I'll think of something funny and have a little right around it but other days and it's not coming I'm just not trying to push it because you know we're we're people and we're multifaceted and I'm, I'm viewing it as waves in in every in every part of my life like in, grasp the days when you're feeling good and when you're not just be kind around it because it's just fucking hard and also like, you know, loads of people are like, oh, you're going to have a Corona set when you go back. I don't want to fucking hear about it. Like, no I'm going to have a Like, if there's a, a joke that deserves to be in it and it's good quality, yes. But otherwise, it's like that thing of people don't want to hear about something they've lived through that just recently. Like, people want to hear about fresh and other stuff. Um. So, yeah, I <laughs> that was like the weirdest way to explain the whole thing. But, um, yeah.
0: No, I'm not. Like, yeah, I mean, I've not, I will confess, I've done fuck all writing, I've done no writing at all, I keep, I keep thinking, right, today I'm going to write something and then I'm just the king king of procrastination, I mean, I started a fucking podcast so I wouldn't have to write anything, um, <laughs> it's like, um, but I have got, I mean, I've got some ideas and, and actually last night for the first time I started jotting those ideas down or whatever, but I'm like you, I don't want to do, um, I've, I tried doing a few bits early on in lockdown about, what, lockdown life was like mm. and stuff and a few little bits to camera and stuff and it's just not my thing I need an audience, I need to be live in there um, I've done a few bits to try and keep busy but I find the online, a lot of people are moving to online gigs and stuff and trying to keep going that way and, and yeah. more power to them because I can't, I don't feel like I can do it, I did it for a friend's birthday party for his wife um, where okay. I got a couple of guys together and we had a Zoom call with her and like 20 of her friends or something and <laughs> and then had to mute them all so that we could actually deliver the material without any interference from <laughs> Mike rebounded all that shit.
1: Yeah, and it
0: was like every comics nightmare because it was twenty different faces in silence. It was like,
1: yeah, <laughs> oh my god, this is
0: what it's like to die—the worst comedy death ever. But they were laughing, <laughs> yeah. but I couldn't hear them, and it was like, and I just thought, I'm not doing it again. I can't. Yeah,
1: I mean, honestly, I'm honestly, it's soul destroying. I've watched a few of them, and I'm like, oh wow, this I I'm not doing this. Um, but the only reason I did the West Ed spree is because I'm competitive and. Mm. Also, it like you get it like it's a CV credit thing that you can be like, oh, as a finalist or whatever. Um, otherwise, people have messaged me and been like, "Hey, do you want to do this online gig?" And I'm like, "Hey, do you want to like poke your eyes out now?" Like, <laughs> I really don't. Thank you though for thinking of me, um, because yeah, the people I've seen do it like they're really refined people but they're saying because you're not hearing the audience you're not learning a lot from it all yeah. you're doing is kind of test is practicing that muscle which I do see the benefit of but I also uh like I love being um it was great actually on the final the other day I'll, I'll stop talking about my uh my wins soon but um but you know in the final I um my mic didn't work for the first like say five ten seconds or whatever and then they had to get me to start again and it really threw me like I was like shaking at the end of my set but almost my head went oh that's you've fucked it um because of your technical issues so just enjoy it and then I was able to be way more playful and I know that I thrive when i feel comfortable and yeah. like i can throw shit at the wall on stage in that moment and see if it lands and if it doesn't you laugh it off and you go into something else but i loved that as um as a as a thing but otherwise that does not work when you're not getting live people going ha, 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 or, or not yeah. you know um
0: yeah. yeah, I think I get the feeling you're probably a bit like me as well in that because uh, I know a lot of people have said as well. Oh God, you know, getting going again, it's going to be like so almost like starting again or whatever because it's been so long. I've got, I, I, feel like with with the way that I react with an audience and the way I perform, I think you're a bit similar. Two or three gigs back in, it'll be like we've never been away. That's yeah. how it feels to me. Once you get back to a proper, you know, proper numbers and stuff like that, and yeah. proper numbers can be anything from like some gigs, it's double figures, isn't it? You know, it's like um, so. I, I think I'm not worried about that, and I'm, and actually I think that the quality will always rise anyway um you know yeah. you, like you were saying about just breaking into regular paid work and stuff I'm like you I had my April and May I was I had Gary Delaney I was supporting in Hello. Middlesbrough I was gigging with John Richardson I was meant to be gigging with John Richardson last Saturday um wow. and I was like and I was nearly put something on Facebook and I was just like no because that's just a cry for attention you know I <laughs> mean I was like I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. fucking do it I, I cry for attention enough times I don't need to add that one to the mix um but I think I've kind of come come to terms with the fact that those things are, are rescheduled or not happening or whatever and just kind of just want to get through it and get out the other side now. But mm. in terms of your mental health and um, not not just with lockdown, but generally you've got quite an interesting kind of history, I suppose, um, which you, you're very open about. Um, so tell us about that. I won't put words into you now.
1: Um, so <laughs> um, I was um, – uh, it sounds really weird because obviously I, I sound really I hope I sound really joyful and happy because I am um but I was uh suicidal from uh the age of 11 to 17 um which is a long old time to not want to mm. live um and I I always thought about yeah it's so weird like I remember I remember like finding out that like Eric Clapton's kid fell off fell off a balcony and died, and I remember kind of romanticizing it. Oh, people are going to listen to this and go, "She's fucking nuts! Don't hire her." But I remember thinking about it a lot. And then when I was seventeen, I wanted to. I was thinking about tablets and what what would, uh, do the job? Shall we say? And I I just got this literally this thing overnight where I thought oh I need to tell someone and I told my mum where I was at and I I got a little bit of therapy and I actually my school chaplain was my therapist for a bit hilarious um big up to Mr Murray by the way um but yeah he kind of um really helped me at the time and I was able to get out of it and then I at 23 again it was happening again um I was put on antidepressants but at the time I I'd been drinking alcoholically for about four years um and addiction and alcohol is riddled through my family um but I just didn't think it was possible to be an alcoholic at 23 um Mm. but I I saw a psychiatrist and she was asking me about she asked me how much I was drinking, and for once, after years of just feeding the doctors the you know the 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 party line of oh, occasionally and <laughs> yeah, exactly, like every so often, oh just at a birthday whatever um i I just got really real, and I was like, okay, so yeah, it's probably about this much um." And she was like, okay, I think you need to get treatment for your alcoholism um, because we can't, they're a bit like the chicken and the egg, like you don't really know which came first. Um, I certainly don't, but um, she was like, "Uh, I didn't realise but you, antidepressants don't work if you drink on them. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. And so she was like, you're taking these meds. I'd been taking them for about six months, antidepressants. And I still wanted to, like, crash my car. The only reason why I didn't is because it's my mum's car. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, she'll have to fix it. It'll be terrible. Like, I'd be dead. But, she I, like, my, the car would be the issue. Um, But, yeah, so I and I, I don't know what happened. But I just, I really, really wanted help because I think I was so... I knew that I, I, as much as I did want to die, I, I was very much told by that psychiatrist that, you know, suicide is a, a, you know, it's an illness that affects so many people. And she was like, I don't know if your mum will survive this. And I don't think she meant to threaten me um she's great (laughs) but it actually really helped because i was like oh if my mom dies my sister might kill herself and then my niece my niece was a month old when i got sober um Mm. and yeah so from then i was like oh i can't do that um and i i really got this this willingness to kind of find out what was wrong with me and i would say that being in treatment i thought i was going to be in with famous people i wasn't it was quite annoying um but well, I really, really learnt what was wrong with me, and I realised that um, I, I have an illness that tells me I don't have it. Um, I, I do everything to excess. I can become, become addicted to everything, and um, you know I, there is a way out of it, and I can I can get help as I'm where I, where I can get it, you know. Um, and then and then uh, yeah, a year later, uh, uh, like a year and a. half, a year and a half later i started comedy so <laughs> weirdly yeah.
0: and so yeah. you're sober now you you can, you yeah. sort of now uh, there's different labels people put on that do you put your, do you class yourself as in recovery or a recovered alcoholic do you still class yourself as an alcoholic what's the uh,
1: yeah oh no definitely an oh. i through and through um you know i i feel like i was born an alcoholic and i feel like i'll die an alcoholic it's a it's a, a an illness that i don't think i'll ever get away from mm-hmm. um but i am in recovery um mm-hmm. i don't know it's weird when i hear people say recovered um i i get a bit like oh you can't recover from it. it's something mm-hmm. that you have to just you know bear with manage and, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and manage it um, but then also, I do get you know people follow certain things and people say I've recovered from a hopeless state of mind, and mm. and so I do get that in the sense that I can live today without drinking. Um, but yeah, I personally say I'm an alcoholic and I'm in recovery um, mm. for alcoholism. So yeah,
0: mm. and and for you, the the addiction to alcohol and the the mental health issues were almost one of the same really the venn diagram is almost just a circle for that isn't it it's like yeah. the, the hand in glove aren't they yeah um we we spoke with um jem stewart who i don't think you'll know because he's not someone who's on the circuit hugely often he sort of dips in and out but he's also a performance poet and he's a uh a recovering alcoholic and is now actually an alcohol addiction counselor wow um, he was so that's what his job is and he was sort of talking about um that thing of, you know, what you know, it's kind of two asses of the same cheek for want of a better phrase, really. Um mm. or two cheeks of the same arse even. Um, so it's um it's really tricky. I mean my dad my natural father was an alcoholic and I've always worried I don't I always worried I would end up one um, and as a teenager almost drank to excess to prove that I wasn't which yeah. is really fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> um, yeah it's it's tricky and and it's something that in certainly in the comedy world There's quite a lot of, certainly most comedians I know who I've spoken to about it will immediately reel off a list of, or, or, you know, the standard list of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have had issues with substances, whether it's full-blown addiction or whether it is when they're at their lowest mental health um, state, then they'll delve into substance abuse or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people at the other end of the scale almost feel like they manage their mental health with with substances so like someone like keith wilde um if he's not got some decent weed to hand then Mm. he feels like his mental health might take a plummet because it's kind of his medication if you like he uses it additionally so it's really really tricky i think And, and in an industry like ours um it's it's so prevalent and and you're you're performing in kind of right in the you know, in in the fire, if you like, because everywhere is is booze related, isn't it? There's, there's yeah, booze everywhere in comedy. So how do? Because I I don't drink much when I'm performing. I tend to have a pint as I'm going on stage. I tend not to drink then. So if I'm MCing, for example, I'll have a pint as the last act's going on, um, or I'll maybe go up with a bit a pint which I barely touch when I'm on stage as a sort of a comfort blanket. But do you find that it's easy for you to? put yourself into that situation where there's, there's ale around all the time and you're, you haven't got Dutch courage that, that that non-alcoholic acts have got or? Um,
1: uh, initially when I first started, uh, dipping my toe in as it were, um, I think I was like, um, you know, luckily because I got sober really young, I kind of had to, um, learn my boundaries are mentally feel well when I'm going into they call them wet places which is you know bars clubs Mm. things like that um and I kind of had to learn about how I how I can live in those worlds that I used to um that kind of used to own me essentially (laughs) um Mm. and learn how to live in them because I what I didn't I felt like when I got sober I was like if I can't go to friends' birthdays and go out with my friends of a weekend if they're going on a night out or whatever, like, what is the point anyway? Like, I'll end up being resentful of the fact I'm an alcoholic and I'll drink again. Um, And so I really, really didn't want that. So it was, it was, you know, it was months and months of literally dipping my toe in. I remember my first time I, I had New Year's when I was sober I fucking hated it. It but it was my favourite holiday when I was drinking. And mm. that was just because everyone else seemed to step up um, and yeah. their their alcoholies. And so I felt like I was it was my day. It was my night. I was always obsessed with that. Um and so my first one, sober, I fucking hated New Year. It was the worst. I was home by half nine, just like mm. whing. Um just because my whole life had changed and I just had to be really wary of, like, just questioning myself of, like, why are you here? If there's a reason for you to be here on an occasion, then it's fine. But if mentally you're feeling a bit out of sorts, go home. Because I never, ever, I never, ever went home when I was drinking because being out allowed me to to stay in it so yeah it it was just kind of that so I had to be really wary of that going into starting comedy um but very quickly I I was I don't know and I think maybe it it depends how you view it I think some people view stand-up as just a hobby or whatever whereas I kind of view it viewed it very much as like a job straight off the bat and again, it's like the thing of like, um, you know, <laughs> I, luckily I have made friends in comedy as time's gone on. But initially it was like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to do something that I enjoy doing. And if I make friends and that's just a, a bonus. Um, So I was just kind of like, you go in, you do the thing and you leave and that's it. And you don't kind of just stay afterwards just to kind of have friends because i was very much like have friends it's fine um but then as yeah it's weird like as time's gone on um uh the amount of 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 comics that have been in my car and they're like oh yeah by the way like i think my drinking or whatever is is a bit out of hand and you know you're like i'm not a fucking doctor like (laughs) there is help available go and get it um because i'm not your mom um but also I see how prevalent it is. Like I feel like, and I love sharing about it actually because I am so fucking proud of myself and I never say that. But I feel like a fucking rock star getting on stage and telling people jokes. Stone Cold is so um, is so hard and so daunting. I know so many comics who couldn't do it. Um, but knowing that I can do that with when i couldn't literally like i couldn't do anything sober when i was drinking so now the fact i can do that i feel so powerful i i not powerful i feel empowered by it um and it it really is a gift of my sobriety like i don't say that lightly um mm. i really know how much it's given me so um i love that because i and i feel like as well i don't know about you but i know how um I see comics who uh will not drink one day and then another day they'll have a drink and they're not as quick when they've had a drink. Yeah. Like their reaction time is just that much slower. And so I just see how as a comic it just benefits you more if you don't anyway. Um but I also see how so many people uh come into the comedy world and they do have substance abuse, and it's also about you know you're you're needing like if we're talking about the crux of addiction you use people places and things to make you feel something um or or not feel in certain cases and so I see how that they get they get validation on stage and it's feeding their soul um and so I have to be really careful around that that I'm not um That i'm not just using the stage to as another drug do you know what i mean because Mm. even though it is incredibly addictive it's not it's not something that'll kill me tomorrow whereas drinking was getting to the point where you know i was going to kill myself anyway so um yeah it was getting to that point so yeah it's a it's a very weird weird thing but i i kind of love it the fact that i can do that
0: Mm. i think it's in in terms of being sharper on stage and stuff like that, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's to have that clarity of thought that you can only have when you're sober. Um, Mm -hmm. is it's not like so i always sort of say if i'm playing pool i play better after a couple of pints because i've loosened up (laughs) but then if i go to have another couple of pints i play shit again i don't think comedy is like that for me it's just about having that alertness of mind similarly though i won't be like jacking back the coffees or anything before a gig either because i want to just be natural when i'm on stage but i think that the the high and the buzz that you get afterwards can be addictive and can be a bit dangerous mm. in that in that maybe you're always chasing it and, and, and it can become a little bit of an obsession. But mm. um I think that the, the other thing is as well as a lot of comedians. So I, when I first started, I, was, I struggled if I'd had, if I'd been on late and, and you're probably a bit like me is that if you go to the sort of the, the, un, at the unpaid level, if you, if you're good quite quickly, you're going on last, you're going on to bring home mm. the home show you, you can't really call it headlining, but you're know, closing <laughs> the show um, yeah. because you're seen as a safe pair of hands and maybe your your style is going to be the one you can leave, leave them laughing and all that. And then, so then within, within an hour, you're home having not long got off stage and i struggle to come down from that sometimes and i i would be you know it would be like one o'clock in the morning i'd still be awake and i'd still be replaying it in my head and thinking could i do this could i do that and and over analyzing it when when i had to be up at six for work or whatever Mm -hmm. um so i put a message out on facebook saying what should you know what um what can i do to unwind and (laughs) eight out of ten people were like either you know just have a couple of whiskies or spark up a joint mm. or something like that. And it was like, yeah. Fucking hell, is that your, is that your solution really? <laughs> okay. I, I was hoping for something a little bit more Zen, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, so generally, I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't generally drink a lot, but I think that, that there are acts out there who kind of do, um, but it's, I suppose it's each to their own, isn't it? But as long as it's healthy, it's or not unhealthy or whatever you want to call it. Mm. It's okay, I, suppose, I, it's I, I,
1: I couldn't believe the, um, the you know, so many places now don't sell Red Bull, and mm. then and sometimes I get bored of drinking Diet Coke, and honestly, sometimes I'm like at these gigs, and you're like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, why do you not sell?" And they won't, and I, I, they didn't have coffee, and I'm just like, I need something to you know just in case like I'm driving two hours an hour and a half home two hours and
0: right. I'm like
1: I need something to just like right. stay awake because it yeah. is a bit like uh um but it is funny the fact that like yeah like I rock up and and I remember doing a gig and they only had they had um like a button on the the, the bar to get to give the actor free drink and, um, and they were like, oh, yeah, free drink or whatever, you, you get a beer. And I was like, oh, I don't drink. Can I have a Diet Coke? And they were like, oh, that's not on the button. And I was like, <laughs> but it's cheaper. So can I just have it? And they were like, yeah. "Um, oh, I don't know. Like, my manager's not here. And I was like, mate, like, you know, you're Like in the end, I bought a Diet Coke. I was like, don't worry about it. Like, But also, I'll give other acts my... tokens or whatever if they if that's what you're getting um (laughs) but yeah I yeah no honestly come my way I always have them just like yeah crack on man like do do you um but I definitely um the feeling about how to to come down after a gig is is really interesting because um I I don't know I was really medicated really medicated with um until about a, uh, about six to nine months ago, I started coming off them, and in terms of their antipsychotic, <laughs> which again makes me sound insane, and um, but they essentially, uh, you know, reduce suicidality and stuff like that. And uh, mine just knocked me out, so I I didn't know what it was like to fall asleep like a normal person. So I was on these like meds, but sometimes they would take hours to kick in, so I'd get in from gigs at like, uh, you know. 11 o'clock at night at best and then I'd be awake till like two or three I'm not on them now so it's not as much as of a problem but it was a bit like initially like whoa what is going on but um yeah for me it's just like like if we stop at a services like another act will buy me a Red Bull and that's kind of like my like um settle down thing I also women who are listening to this will get this um I wear contact lenses on stage because I feel like I got into my head that I don't perform as well with glasses. Don't know why. Um, So I take my contact lenses out usually before I leave a gig because I want to drive with my glasses on. And that's like my taking my bra off at the end of the day. <laughs> like That's yeah. like my end of my working day is taking yeah. my contact lenses out. So comfort. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think people must think I'm nuts for that. But yeah, otherwise I think... Um, I also I love that Sarah Millican I think wrote about it somewhere about the idea of um you can only give yourself until 11am the next day for a gig and I really follow through with that because if I um you know I'm not happy with it or I'm high as a fucking kite I need to really watch that because mentally I don't do well with highs and lows I need to maintain some kind of um consistency so i need to kind of either pull my ego back or kind of make myself aware that it was one night and that we go again like whenever the next gig is
0: Millican's Law as they call it in, in the industry is is kind of one of the most quoted certainly towards yeah. new acts that is and, and if if anyone listening wants to hear her talk about it, Stu Goldsmith has the Comedians Comedian podcast and her I think her first episode on there she talks about it at length and mm-hmm. and also about other things about getting into the industry and a lot of it is about looking after your mental health, although mm. maybe not as overtly as we're talking about it now. It's so yeah. a really important thing. You know, you, you you can't um you can't ride the highs really high all the time without riding no. low so sometimes it's safer to just yeah. accept they're both going to come it's that um it's kind of that's the thing is is try and keep yourself centered even if you've even if you feel you've smashed it and we know that you know yeah. all comedians love to say they've smashed every gig but we know yeah we
1: don't. yeah um, I don't think as well you know the other thing that I do find really interesting is I I, I definitely get nervous before like every gig but Um, some of them don't consume me as much Mm. because I don't know. I feel like when your life was essentially uh, my, you know, three years ago when I got sober, my, my whole life turned on its head. And so I think it puts it into perspective of like when people are like, you know, shitting every two seconds or they can't sit still because they're so nervous about going on stage and it's literally taking over them as a person I'm just like hey like if I have that that reaction at any point I'm like hey you wanted to kill yourself three years ago and you're alive today chill out hon and Mm. and that is really helpful for me of kind of going it, it, it's it, it's just a gig Like, it, we get into it because it. it's fun. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny. And yeah. we enjoy the, you know, we enjoy the experience of it. But at the end of the day, you might die on stage, but no one's going to die. Like, yeah. I really have to take that to myself because then, yeah I don't know the nerves just don't like and I can say this and then the other night for the final I was like in my bedroom pacing like what is wrong with you like you're literally just telling jokes to a fucking computer screen well, if like if you been in a proper green
0: room it probably you, I think you'd have been probably more relaxed because it's more comforting yeah. you were out of your comfort zone in a couple of different ways there's the competition element but there's also the the weird element of you know you haven't actually been in front of a live audience since March and yeah. then you're doing that so i, I don't think i think you probably like naturally being a bit hard on yourself there so I, yeah perhaps um, i've, I've, I've <laughs> seen you because you normally just chilled and ready to go so um in terms of then i mean it's probably a good time to ask it then would you say that your your history it sounds like you and in, in the sort of when you're pragmatic about it, it it is something that helps keep you in balance to reflect on your history of mental health issues and say Mm. actually this stuff isn't that important although you take it seriously has it ever been the case that um your your mental health situation has negatively impacted your company
1: um no not really um I'd say maybe in this lockdown because I've never spent so much time or especially initially like I had to I was berating myself so much for my lack of productivity and then I, I watched um a really good talk by Liz Gilbert um a TED talk about creativity and about the fact that um She talks about the fact that she does basically after Eat, Pray, Love, people were like, oh, you've just made the biggest book of your life. What's your follow up going to be like? And it puts so much pressure around it. Mm. And so she was like, I needed to come up with this psychological construct to take the power out of it. And so she did a lot of research and she realized that in like ancient Greece and ancient Rome, they had this idea of that you had. A genius in your walls (laughs) Um, and and that you weren't a genius yourself and and that this genius just chose to visit you as and when they wanted to but she said it really helped with the idea of the fact that if something is amazing the result is amazing you can't take all the credit for it because your ego was there your genius was there helping Mm. you but also if something's shit you also can't take all the the thing for that because your genius didn't clearly didn't show up for work mm-hmm. that day type thing, um, and she said it's having a bit like that. It's
0: like the Law again, isn't it? It's yeah, again, just, it's this, a psychological,
1: yeah, this psychological. Yeah, this psychological construct of like, oh, um I think the only thing I, in a different way that I did, I did want to mention is I do have like a five minute set about my mental health, and I do it at the end of my like if I'm doing a 10 I'll do it at the end because I I know that it it, it's a hard subject like I talk about self-harm and I I, I've said to certain uh you know promoters and 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 people who are running open mic gigs and I've said if you need to do a trigger warning please do because I really don't want to put it but I also know that I I find the beauty in laughing at stuff and poking fun at my the really hard stuff and I couldn't yeah. have told jokes like that say maybe six months out of whatever but now three years on I can you know I can do a joke about you know I've got a bit about a say about um I didn't know how to self-harm uh, I didn't realise you had to go sideways so I ended up just shaving my inner forearm yeah. and then I'm like pathetic um, <laughs> and that's kind of like my thing but obviously if you're talking about that in like normal day to day that that's really weird Like, yeah. but yeah, I I found that it, really empowering again
0: we've touched on that before in a couple of these podcasts about the people who aren't I feel able to generally talk about their mental health situation and be kind of honest about the low lowest parts of that and maybe the things that normally people looking outside might feel uncomfortable that you are sharing with them. Yeah. I think that can inform your comedy and make you more willing to go to those places. But I remember the first time I I've, I only do at a moment, I'm trying to, to work in more about um, kind of mental health and my family's history of mental health and stuff um but i do a very short bit about antidepressants but the mm. first time I, I ever sort of started it off was like give us a shout if you've ever had a mental health issue and the audience <laughs> look at you like you've grown a second <laughs> head you know yeah and you yeah, go, oh, yeah. A but then Kate, okay, you go Ooh, and then you go right have you ever taken antidepressants really? and 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 he, but the first time you mention it in a new audience who maybe don't know you if it's not somebody you play regularly the energy changes and Mm. suddenly the room, it doesn't go cold, but they're kind of the audience immediately are saying, okay, where are you going with this? What are you doing? What's the problem? Yeah. And then you, it's that thing of being able to, to reassure them that you're not going to like massively shock them and offend them. And you're not going to, you're not going to suddenly take the joy out of the situation. You can find the funny again. Um, But it's, I think it helps. I genuinely, for me, it helps, but not for everyone. Um, Mm it's it feels like it helps you as well
1: um oh definitely i think it's i think it's um i i totally get why um i i i too have 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 felt that in the room um but i also did like i did harriet dyer's gig in um in manchester um the barking tales gig which is Mm. a gig about mental health and i thought when when i uh got you know um she said like she'd have me on or whatever I remember thinking like this is either going to be the best gig or the worst gig and um I I actually was fucking brave enough to go on a second date I actually like brought my date because I'm fucking <laughs> stupid and um and it went really well like <laughs> I felt like again I felt like a rock star I was like oh my god this is amazing um and and yeah it was it was amazing because all of those people had that knowledge to kind of go, "Oh my God, like I've done that, and it's that relatability factor um and I've never once had anyone come over and be like, "Oh, I was really offended or anything, but I also do feel like I do have a bit of a precursor about before I do say like, okay, I'm gonna talk about something and some of you might be worried but you're gonna be okay and I'll be all right and whatever. And and I do sometimes I'm like, oh just pull it out. Be brave enough to pull that mm. bit out and don't pre cursor it because at the end of the day like it's this is your stuff and you've been given these minutes to just tell your your and shit it's so. honest
0: as well. it's not like you've it's not something where you have constructed a situation to to fit a joke you've written It's your oh yeah honest telling of a story I think. yeah i
1: i do get i i do feel like if someone told some of the jokes that i have in mind about about um about being in on a psych ward um and they hadn't, I would I would feel it'd be like if someone was talking about being queer and they're not queer. Like yeah. you would be like, what? What is wrong yeah. with you? Like why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got
0: your own shit you can talk about, this is mine.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like okay. I so I, I think people trust you that they know that it is all coming from a place of honesty. And I think audiences appreciate that as well. Yeah. Um and also bringing something different to the table than talking about you know uh, you like you you were a big fan of my first set but my first set talked about my sex life or lack thereof and i would say that i'm Had like a great you know gag in
0: there,
1: thank, thank you. you i i, I do really still good. love that joke i might pull it out again at some point um not literally but, it's but yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think i'm going to uh, because i am like sex positive feminist think people women should be able to talk about men and non-binary people should be able to talk about whatever they they want to but at some points like your Batley gig was amazing because I walked in and was like these people are probably gonna hate me and then they absolutely loved it and I was like wow just shows you can't walk into a room and test people but sometimes I was I don't know I felt like I was made to feel as if I was like a slag or like Mm -hmm. whatever and it's like no like if a guy can talk about his dick on stage and not be made to feel like sexually you know insecure or the or the fact that they're not allowed to talk about that like how dare you please, what I'm saying but it did make me think about my set and it did make me change it a bit because but then obviously then I went to mental health so either way I'm probably not making the audience uh just sit back and relax and not have to uh you know, challenge thoughts and perceptions, I guess, a bit.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think the thing is, as well, is it's really easy to um, find something that works and then never stretch to something else. So, you know, I started yeah. doing, uh, I wanted to do politics when I started, realised that I couldn't because I just sounded like an angry prick and not funny <laughs> at all. And yeah. so just did some filth. But Trying to to sort of vent, move away from that a little bit, not abandon it, but mix it up a bit and do a, a few other bits and stuff. And you yeah. know, I've talked about um, I've talked about mental health. I've talked about my dad being a violent alcoholic mm. and not you know beating the shit out of my mum and stuff like that. And yeah. trying to find ways of having those subjects in my set and still being funny and also not being massively uncomfortable for the audience. I like them to yeah. be a bit uncomfortable. I like them to think, oh. But I don't want them to think, right? That's it. I'm shutting down. So it's yeah. it's a tricky one. But I suppose as we're kind of wrapping it up now, then um, it's the question I would have, and this is a question I'm asking all of my guests, um, as sort of the final question. And yours, I suppose, is you know one of the more out of we've had nine episodes now. And yours is one of the the stories, if you like, or I don't want to use the word journey because it sounds like a fucking X factor. um, (laughs) Your experiences are perhaps a bit more extreme than other people's um, that have been on, um, not to invalidate theirs at all. Um, If you could take all that away, if you could say that in the future, you knew, you were guaranteed that your your mental health um, would be permanently good You'd be healthy mentally for the rest of your life without any dips or blips, but the the bargain you had to make, the cost you had to pay, would be that you'd never gig again. Would you take that deal?
1: Um. No. Hmm. Um. Um yeah no but 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 to be fair um even I wasn't expecting that premise actually but I thought as you were saying it I realized um that anything I was promised I wouldn't say take it all away because I feel like when I got sober I really had to get out of the idea about the fact of like why me and and this hating on the world because this has happened to me and why me and why do I have to deal with this and actually now I think it just shows my acceptance around it but it's part of the fabric of who I am as a person and so I feel like if I took any bargain any bargain to take that away from me I wouldn't be who I am as a person so not for anything like not for anything like even if you were like for the the biggest dream because I I love comedy but like never performing again isn't like the worst thing like killing myself is the worst thing Mm. um but it it it, 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 yeah it's so much a fabric of my life that if I I took all that away and had all the good things like that's not a person like a person that I want to relate to is someone who's who's been through stuff like that's what makes us that's what human connection is about um and yeah the the one last thing as well I did want to say I feel like I've been far too open about my addiction to capitalize on it but um I did want to do initially I saw Daniel Sloss's ex-tour and I did want to do he does like this whole set of, uh spoiler by the way, if you want to watch it, don't listen to this next bit, but about, he does this whole set about women, and about sex, and about the women in his life, and how he views them, and he's like poking fun at them, and go ha ha ha, and then at the end he talks about the fact a friend of his was raped, and he basically does this thing, and he says, This is like the frog. Um, If you put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump straight out again. But if you put it in cold water and then turn the heat up, it'll fry, right? So he was like, that's what I've been doing this whole show. I've um, made you think that we're all in it together and we're all poking fun at women when actually the whole message of this show is the fact that you should never be able to do that type thing and I Mm -hmm. thought it was so empowering and I was like I'd love to do that show that is about being an alky and and but not alluding to it and then at the end being like oh by the way I got sober at 23 like how fucked you have to be to get sober at 23 um but actually I am far too open about it so I think I've lost that opportunity but I, I I do really struggle to write around my alcoholism because i think we're only just opening the door to hearing stuff about mental health and you want to make it relatable and also most audience members who sit in front of us have a glass of wine or a a bottle of beer and i Mm. don't want them to feel shit because i choose not to or i can't safely do you know what i mean Mm. um and so yeah um but, yeah, sorry, I just went off on a bit of a tangent there no, no, but
0: I just thought I, I I think at some point you'll you'll kind of you'll crack that walnut and you'll find a way of doing it
1: mm. that
0: that meets your kind of standard that you've set there about not sort of alienating the audience i think um yeah. but because everything we talk about on stage, the audience have had some experience. It's very very rare that mm. you could bring up a subject on stage that the audience either haven't experienced themselves. Or don't know someone who has, and so are familiar with it. It's, it's quite unique, I think. Um, yeah. Although you know, these days with with kind of shifting norms in terms of gender and and sexuality and stuff like that, some people might find some like of that a little bit alien. But I think generally things like mental health and substance abuse and stuff like that now are they they're being dragged into the mainstream quite rightly. Um mm. And you know, and we can still be the the court jester and kind of navigate for those people what's a, what's alright to say, what's not alright to say, push the boundaries a bit and, and you know, and, and just just bring it all out into the light, I suppose, which is which is part of our job, I think, as you know, without being trying to sound too wanky about comedy. Um mm. you know, I definitely think that, that we're the ones that need to sometimes hold a mirror up to, to people. Um and, yeah. and we can do that. Well, that's I, definitely I what I, I want to do. About wanking on stage, so.
1: Yeah, see like I that's what I want to do, but yeah. I also know the fact that, you know I've got a joke about chimpanzees, and I've got a joke about uh mm. washing your dick, and they both kill. And so I know I can do them anywhere. But mm. at the end of the day, I also want to talk about, you know, uh, the the whole different part of me as a person, and mm. yeah, educating, but not being yeah take over it and be like, I'm gonna teach yeah. you something today, kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Wicked. Listen, Alex, it's been it's genuinely been really enjoyable talking to you. I could talk oh. to all day, um, but um, we're not gonna because that'd be crap for the listeners. So, <laughs> um, but thank you for coming on. Um, really enjoyed it, and I hope to see you and gig with you again when all this shit goes back to normal or something, some kind of normal. Um, oh, but, you um, too,
1: ma'am.
0: Thanks for coming on, and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, okay.
1: speak okay. soon. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay, so that was episode nine with Alex Stringer, um, who I think you'll agree is brilliant. Um, it a really good conversation. Uh, it was recorded some time ago for context. It was recorded at the end of May, so about six weeks ago from, from then till now when we're publishing it. Um, I thought it was really interesting to, to hear how um, she balances the the desire to talk about her mental health issues and and addiction and stuff like that on stage with not wanting the audience to feel alienated or alarmed or switch off um it's a lesson to me certainly i very briefly talk about my mental health on stage but not in any real detail and i certainly um make light of those issues um and i think that's given me food for thought um so thanks for that alex um coming up we have uh, next week we have uh, a good friend of mine um, Sam James Cook SJ Cook who is uh, a young whippersnapper um, of a comedian who started at the same time as me but is in his very early 20s and is going through uh, an issue kind of live really we, we spoke about six weeks ago and it was at the time when he had literally just decided to seek some help for his mental health issues so um, we'll be talking with him and then I'm uh, in the process of booking some more guests coming up but uh, we're coming up to ten episodes next week so thank you to everyone who's been listening we've had some lovely feedback and, and reviews um, and uh, I'm just hoping this podcast will keep going from strength to strength so thanks for listening, take care and uh, see you next week, cheers Parks of Madness is hosted by Graham Rayner and is a gag and bone man comedy production.